Now you should listen to this because this concerns you. This is about an uh, evil genius in love. Evil genius mind. It woke me up from my sleep and I don't like it. No, you're an evil genius is what you are. If this works, you're, you're some kind of a, a evil genius. Honest to God. Hello and welcome to the Evil Genius Chronicles. I'm your little podcast buddy, Dave Slusher. I'm not that little. Welcome to this show. I'm glad. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad. I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad anyone is anywhere. First, the business. This show is not kid safe, not work safe, not safe. It is Creative Commons licensed, non-commercial, attribution, 4.0, unported. The music is by the late, great band, The Gentle Readers. By the way, Susie French Connection is most of the members of the band. They're playing in Atlanta very soon. Susie French Connection. Bandwidth is provided by Cashfly under the kind auspices of Backbeat Media. I do not speak for my employer, not because I'm not proud of them, but because they are not on the hook for this horseshit I'm about to bring you. All right? In my very last episode, I literally just re-listened to it so that uh, it is always a, a bummer when I listen to an old episode and I realize I said basically the same shit all over again. In the previous episode, I said that I get my music from two sources, from a the child in my house or from the Irish and Celtic music podcast. There is a third. Actually, Jim Mafood. Uh, who I know as a comic book artist, but he does various stuff. He also has a podcast, which is, I'm listening to old episodes. I believe it's like a year or more pod faded, but it's interesting. It's called Skull Funk Radio. It is mostly a music podcast with him telling stories a little bit in the middle. Um, and I'm finding actually some of the songs I know a little bit. Um, uh, he played like Infectious Grooves, uh, or Infectious Grooves or Infectious Groovies. The Stephen Perkins, uh, the dude from uh, Suicidal Tendencies, who's in Metallica now. Uh, Robert Trujillo was in that band, you know, s- stuff like that. And so he plays some things that I know. Um, most of it I don't. And uh, this is one of the songs that I did not previously know. Um, it's from a um, Japanese jazz band, which, okay. Um, it is called. Uh, the name of the band is Soil and Pimp Sessions. And this is from the album Pimp of the Year. <laughs> and uh, this is the song Crush. So knowing all you know about the titles and the nomenclature, what do you think it's going to sound like? This is what it sounds like. Crush!
All right, from the album Pimp of the Year, that was Soil and Pimp Sessions. Pimp also uh, helpfully, um, in quotation marks, all very weird. That was the song Crush, and I like that a lot. I have... You can absolutely make jazz that's too smooth for me. I don't like your Kenny G elevator music jazz. And also at WREK, when I was there, they love squonky free jazz. It sounds like people are coughing in their saxophones. You can be too rough for me. I have an acceptable jazz envelope that's right in the middle. I like John Coltrane. I like that era. I like this. All right. Now let us go on to uh, another acceptable envelope. That is the envelope of people who have slipped me in the back alley. Via a mechanism called Patreon, where they have gone to bit.ly, bit.ly slash EGC Patreon, and slipped me an envelope full of cash surreptitiously. And now I'm thanking them for that. I think we call the reading of the patrons. I sort of half-ass figured out pipe wire. It's still trouble. It's less trouble. Thank you to the following people who... Uh, as aforementioned, slipped me the envelope. I also figured out how to work the new Patreon site. <clears throat> so in the proper order. Patron number one, Derek Coward. Thank you. Thank you, Adam Rittenauer, Ken Kennedy, Paul Fisher, Arhuli, Robert Harvey, Paul Smith, Andrew Heron, Brant, Brant? No, not Brant. Grant, not Brant Gashoko. It's Grant Bashoko. I am not doing this again. Nutty Nuke Joss, Tony Ewing, Craig Stepp, Steve Holden, Shannon Nelson, Charlotte Kennedy, Leah, the Enigmagic, Angela Lee, Chuck Tomasi, Stuart Maxwell, John Richardson, Michael Butler, Bruce Lerner, Eric Peterson, Skeeter Murphy, Chiaki Hinohara, Robert Gibson, Lynn Edgerly, Melissa A. Bartell, Andrew Howe, Michael Street, Neil Forker, Daiko, Kevin Freedy, Brian Springer, Tim Shaw, Rob Usden, Wayne Pittender, Brian Jones, Joe Pollack. <laughs> I don't know why I'm pronouncing anything the way I'm pronouncing it. Thank you to all the peop- those people. <sighs> I should really do this again, but I really don't want to. All right. Thank you to everybody for being Patreon supporters. And with that, let us kill the music. That is what you call an inauspicious <laughs> beginning. to the proceedings let's do it anyway uh a little weight update so i had done the eat to live plan um i lost a fair amount of weight uh struggled to kind of stay in there not because the plan doesn't work the plan uh to quote comedian ed krasnick it works when you work it the the plan actually works it is entirely uh, up to my willpower of being on the plan and off the plan because when i am not on the plan it works the problem being is that uh sometimes i go off the plan which i did last year and i was you know in an acceptable weight range last year uh early in the year and then i went off the plan i think i went off the plan early summer i maybe went off the plan around the time of the softball tournament last year um, because I'm last year when we were doing that stuff, I was wearing a size medium shirt, uh, which the same shirts that I was wearing last year, I, uh, went to wear to one of the softball things this year. And I looked like, uh, you know, I looked like eight pounds of sausage in a three pound case. It was just, awful. <laughs> it's like, I, I cannot wear this. There was a mom who was eight months pregnant and she was able to wear her shirts. I was not able to wear my shirt. <laughs> That's how bad it was. Um, and from last summer 
to um, effectively like a week ago. There, whenever I'm off the plan, I always think, oh, I'm going back on the plan. I will start eating salads. I will go back to mostly raw vegetables as my primary, uh, you know, primary diet. And what I will do is it'll be like a Wednesday. And I'll say, oh, I'm going to start Monday. And, uh, but so I'll have one last hurrah and I'll eat whatever I want through this weekend and then I'll go on Monday and I eat whatever I want over the weekend. And then I don't start Monday or there will be a reason. I was like, Oh, you know, kid's birthday is coming up. Uh, and you know, I'm going to eat cake at the party. So I'll wait until after that. There is never a point where I say, I'm just going to stay off the plan for 18 months. (laughs) I never make that decision. I always think I'm going back on within, uh, two weeks at every point. Yet I stay off for, uh, in this case, a, over a year. So I started back last Monday, and I am reasonably hardcore. We're having a we're having a celebration, a back to school startup uh, celebration at the Melting Pot next week, which has sort of become a tradition. Like the first week of school, we have a we have a dinner at the Melting Pot just as a reward for getting through the first week of school. I guess we're going to do that and I'll figure out what I'm doing, um, you know, around that. Maybe I will just minimize what I eat and mostly eat. the. They have raw vegetables you can dip in the cheese. Uh, The raw vegetables ain't the problem. It's the cheese. (laughs) It's the problem. But we'll see. And maybe I won't eat the chocolatey dessert. I don't know. Or maybe I'll just go off for one day. I'll just go crazy. And then next day back to the vegetables, whatever. But um, I am at this point. Uh, about 50 pounds above where I want to be, or I was when I, I'm about 45 now. Cause uh, you know, the first week of the plan is always a good week because you stop eating salty foods. There's a couple pounds right there. And you go from eating a normal American diet to mostly like spinach and broccoli and, you know, raw vegetables, just the density and the mass of what you eat goes down. So after about four days, What's in your intestine is just less food. So you're going to lose a couple pounds. So you're going to lose like five pounds the first week. No, If you did not lose a, a, a gram of fat, you would still lose like five pounds between the water and just the amount of poop in process. <laughs> poop in process. Is that just your title? God, I hope not. So anyway, back on the plan. The It is 100%. This is like being Green Lantern. It's down to your will. How much willpower do you have? Because... Uh, the the thing that people uh, in the household have a hard time with is that once I do something like this, it is so much easier to uh, just stay with it. It's like I will eat broccoli and hummus, uh, or my salad, or you know maybe carrots and hummus, but I'm not eating anything else. I'm not eating a handful of M and M's. I'm not doing anything. The problem with me, my personality type, the way I do these things is. I can eat nothing but raw vegetables for the next month. I will be fine. It won't, it's not going to be like a deprivation. I won't freak out. But if I eat one handful of M&Ms, I will probably eat three pounds of M&Ms. It's kind of like the, I guess it's basically like like the overeater anonymous, uh, you know, versus like Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, some people can just have a drink and some people that have one drink, it's a bender. Um, I'm kind of, I guess that way with snacks. I like, I can't just have one snack. It's a snack bender. So anyway, that's that. Uh, I hope to in a couple months, get back to something reasonable to me at my, at my height, 196 pounds is a key point because that is the line between morbidly obese or obese and, uh, merely overweight. That's the line. 
I believe actually I'm, I've ticked up over into the morbidly obese, which I think is 35% body fat. It's like, gleek, gleeks. Let's get back down there. <clears throat> I'm uh, desperately hoping to get to merely overweight. Uh, as you know, if you were listening uh, to a certain circle of podcasts, right now is the dog days of podcasting. Uh, I have mentioned, I have done it in the past. It's, uh, the first year that I did it is kind of how I ended up at uh, my previous employer for about eight years. Um, and I've done it, I don't know, four or five times. I'll never do it again. The reason I won't do it is not because I have any problem with doing a short show a day for the entire month of August. I actually like that part. I can do that part. Every time I've done it, I've never failed at it. Like I've never missed a show in all the years I did it. The main reason that I don't participate is because I don't want to listen to the shows. <laughs> and it feel it's got such a communitarian vibe that uh, if, you know when I would do the thing, I would listen to the master feed and I would listen to everyone's shows. And I mostly don't want to listen to most of the shows. And it just, what it ends up doing is I end up listening to basically nothing but dog day shows all summer. And my queue gets really long. It's like, and, and some of the shows I like and some of the shows I don't like. And uh, I just don't want to listen to shows I don't like. And if I'm not going to listen to everything, it just feels like I'm not being part of it. But this year, and this is the first, oh, oh actually, even structurally. So Craig Stepp. Founder of that. You heard his name in the reading of the patrons. Uh, great guy. I've known Craig for a very long time, almost the entirety of the podcast era. And, uh, you know, fellow, fellow Carolina boy. Craig, great guy. He's my friend. He former coworker and texts me periodically just to check in, you know, much better than I am about anything like that. Great guy. And the dog days of podcasting, um, one of the ways to not impress me is to be one of those people who says, you know, somebody should really. Uh, Craig is one of the is the opposite type person who said, you know what would be cool? This dog days of podcasting. Okay, I set up the site. I've got, <laughs> I've got the feed. I'm doing this thing. Here it is. Here's the days. You know, he just does the thing. He just makes it all work. He doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't deliberate about it and doesn't, you know, build consensus. He just does the thing. The original motivation for dog days of podcasting was much like NaNoWriMo, to to convince you that you can do it. It's like to kickstart you. Uh, August is you know a time of vacations and laziness, and the end of summer, and it's 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 not hard to get out of the swing of things. And the, the whole thing is to get you back in the swing. But exactly like NaNoWriMo is, I think, oh, in the long haul, and it was a perfectly reasonable, perfectly uh, well intentioned uh, setup. But now there's this second and third order effects, which is like NaNoWriMo. Uh, which was there to prove to you you could write a novel in 30 days, right? You could, if you sit down and do it, you can sit down and do it. And now you have people who write NaNoWriMo novels and do not write a single word between uh, November 1st or December 1st and uh, Halloween of the next year. And then they write 50,000 words in November and then they never write again and they think that they're doing great. And sadly, some of the podcasts now are like this. They podcast in the month of August and then don't, and then they pod fade from September until the beginning of next August, which is the exact opposite uh, outcome. So I would strongly urge uh, Dog Days participants, do not stop podcasting through the year. Do not have a season and an off season. Just keep going. But anyway, uh, I'm kind of with you in spirit. The shows I'm already subscribed to, I'm getting. But even, honestly, uh even the shows I'm already subscribed to, you can get you can get enough of them. <laughs> it, it's enough. It, uh, 
Uh, Michael Butler, former co-host, my friend, uh, my podcast mentee, love the guy, love his show. 45 minutes a day, maybe is. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you, I mean, it's good. If you can do a 45 minute show a day, you're really knocking it out. That might be more than I want to listen to of anything. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay. Switching from this to uh, an entirely unrelated topic, which is compost. <laughs> In our uh, new house with the big yard and, um, you know, the Ryobi uh, riding lawnmower, um, Although I mulch most of the stuff in the backyard where the dogs uh, run, we bag it up and then dump the clippings. And even though, like, the fenced-in area, which is the only part that I bag clippings, like, the whole rest of the yard is, like, over an acre, I just let mulch it and let it, you know, uh, let the lawnmower grind it up as best it can and then just sit where it falls. Um, I take the clippings, and we have been taking our yard waste, and we've been composting and when I say composting, it is the most half-assed thing you could do and call it composting, which is basically I took cardboard boxes that we had left over from the move, cut the bottoms out, set them out there, throw some throw some yard uh, waste in there, or throw the uh, kitchen waste in there. When I got clippings, I throw it on top. Periodically, I uh, throw some water in there, take a shovel, and move it around, <laughs> you know, to turn it a little bit. At, at the new job, we have this weekly thing called the water cooler where we just get together and hang out and just shoot shit about things. And I had mentioned that I was composting. And one of my coworkers was asking me, are you doing this method or this method or this method? And I had never heard of any of this. <laughs> and I had to say, I don't have that much science behind it. I'm just throwing some stuff in my yard and uh, seeing what happens. I was at Aldi yesterday shopping for the salad for the plan. And they have a thing called... Um, whatever it's called, the rotating or turning compost or something like this. And I considered it. I really did consider it. it. Really, what it looks like is the thing that they pick the ping pong balls for the lottery or, you know, like a bing pong, bingo thing. It's a, you know, a, a hexagonal um, cage with a handle in the middle and you just roll the thing. And the appeal of this thing is that you throw your stuff in there, you let it compost, and it's also got um, the, uh, I don't know what you call it, the like sifty. One of the things I had been planning on building was a compost sifter, you know, where you take uh, basically a screen from a screen door and a wooden box and you make a sifter so that you can throw the stuff in there and the good uh, ready to roll compost will fall through the, through the wire, through the mesh. And then the chunky stuff that needs more, uh, you know, needs to break down more will stay behind. And if you do your uh, bingo, uh, bingo ball lottery thing, um, then, you know, the, the I don't need a sifter because I can just do it from there. The problem with this being, and I looked up some reviews of this Aldi. <laughs> this is this is where I'm at in life. It's Friday night. I'm looking up reviews of an Aldi composter to see if I want to go back to the store and buy it. And the problem I had identified was actually the problem they had. They said, I was a little worried it would be a piece of shit and just fall apart and break. Um, they said it, that didn't happen. Um, but that what they said is one of the big problems is that it just composts slower because what you don't get is when it's not sitting on the ground, you don't get worms up in there unless you put worms in there. And then if you put worms in there with no access to the ground, there's a, very, there's a reasonable chance you're going to let them die. Like if it gets too dry, uh, you know, you may lose the worms. So I had considered getting this thing, like shoveling some of the compost. We probably have more compost that would fit in one of them. So we might even have to have like a, uh, you know, basically like a tier system. Where 
you know, it mellows in one pile and then it gets shoveled into the other thing and then it gets sifted out, you know, when we have a need for it. And I was considering going to the fishing store and getting some bait worms and just throwing them in there and letting the worms do what the worms do. And I just opted against it. He said, you know what? I'm just going to leave it the way it is. Uh, it seemed like a reasonable plan, uh, but the review was um, review was iffy. And I was like, you know what? I'd probably do better. I would probably do better with no infrastructure whatsoever, just piles, because I have room for a pile. And it's not near anything, and it doesn't cause a problem. It's just at the back of my yard. You probably just leave these compo- like these heaps in a pile. It's probably better than the turning composter. Um, so I guess I'm just going to do that. So if you're a, a gardening type, if you uh, have a better solution, man, I'm in the market for conceivably uh, better solutions than uh, my current <laughs> throw everything on the ground and let God sort it out <laughs> composting solution. And with that, I'm going to take a fine sip of this fine. Mm. I got this coffee at all these. So it's like four bucks a pound. Oh, and I can taste every cent. Mm. Aldi is not where you go for your uh, uh, premium anything, but it's good enough. Aldi is where you go for shit that's good enough and really cheap. Sometimes good enough is barely good enough, but barely good enough is good enough. If you follow my drift. Mm, one more sip. All right. I talk about so many downer things that I don't like or that I think is going wrong. Let's talk about something that I unabashedly love. Followed by a downer talk about. <laughs> I watched the Netflix adaptation of Sandman, uh, which came out last week, and I got it watched. We got it watched within five days, so that's uh, a success for me. I am not the, uh, that great a binger. It came out right after we got back from the mountains. Um, we probably would have binged it in the mountains if it was out then, but it, it was like right after. And in fact, I was the slow point. My my wife. It was one. It was a together show. Um, where typically with shows like this, we watch one episode and then my wife decides whether it's a together show or a separate show. And certainly a few of these are separate shows. This one was a together show. And we watched it. And uh, I was listening to uh, um, More to Come from the Comic Beat uh, crew. And they described it perfectly, which is it is the optimal adaptation for somebody who read the source material at the time, has not revisited it much and remembers the big sweeps and not all the details, which is exactly where I am. And it is exactly the thing for somebody of my age who was, when did Salmon come out? 88? When I would have been 21 years old. And, uh, you know, I wasn't goth, but I was goth adjacent. So, you know, the whole Vertigo thing uh, was really, you know, I was, you know, junior in college. It was everything about it was just, you know... <laughs> just in the pocket for me. I have some Sandman memorabilia. I have a death statue. I have bookends of the white and black Sandman. Uh, I have uh, the uh, statue, one of those uh, fancy statues um, of San the Sandman from the Arabian Nights, you know, holding up a crystal ball. So I have some Sandman. It's all still in the box. It's in the box <laughs> right now. I have not displayed it after the move, but I, it's in the room. I can see them out of the corner of my eye. And I lovity, lovity, loved this adaptation. I made the mistake of clicking a link and looking at some re reviews. And I saw some reviews talking about how bad this show was. And at the point, I had watched maybe three episodes, four episodes. And they were saying how, the, you know, it was a mishmash of storylines and, 
you know, it was just a, a, a mess. I'm going to tell you, my review is exactly the opposite. I think they did an excellent job of taking the material and boiling it down into uh, what made perfect sense for a season of the show. I loved how they did it. And I also, I'm going to tell you, uh, fair or not fair, when people have um, these kind of uh, free-floating problems with adaptations, and the adaptation is... Um, like this one, has some gender swaps. For example, uh, Gwendolyn, I don't remember her last name, but the lady who played Brienne of Tarth on Game of Thrones plays Lucifer uh, and is fantastic as Lucifer. Um, uh, fun fact, that Lucifer TV show that was on the CW, you know, with the black-haired dude where he's the PI, and that's, that's the same character <laughs> from, uh, you know, followed a different path, but, you know, it's from the Vertigo series that came out of the Sandman, and it's the same character. Um, the, uh, there's a black lady playing death, um, Lucy Ann, who was, you know, uh, a white dude in the comic, like most of the comic was white dude and a few white women. Um, the, uh, adaptation, a lot of white characters are not white characters. And I truly believe when people have kind of vague problems with something and just don't like it, uh, whether they know it or not, I think that's part of what troubles them. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. They negroed up my white th- shit here. <laughs> I just don't like that. <laughs> and uh, I thought this adaptation was fantastic. The actress playing death. I will say that the like in an, in an adaptation of this material, I, I think death has got to be one of the crucial roles for exactly the same way that I think Mercutio is the critical uh, role in any adaptation, any any presentation of Romeo and Juliet, because you got to uh, you got to buy into Mercutio. If you don't love Mercutio, the second half of the play makes no sense, <laughs> right? The, the The events of the play don't make sense if you don't think Mercutio is a great guy. And I think you need to love Death as a character, uh, especially Death as the um, you get you got to love Death as this like bubbly ebullient, um, compassionate character. If you don't buy that, a lot of this endless shit just falls apart. So uh, that actress was fantastic. I loved it. I, what I really want is I want to see an entire, I want to see some of the Death miniseries adaptation. I want to see Death series after this. I want to see more of her because she was fantastic. Um, the people from um, More to Come did actually identify, there were a couple points where they said, where they said the the, the whole Morpheus, the, like the the Sandman of the the titular Sandman, um, is a brooding, uh, dour guy, uh, unemotional, or, or unemotional kind of, and, and and that's a point of the whole story is the fact that he is you know as a human like entity, uh, not very communicative not uh not a people person <laughs> let's say death is a people person except she's not a person and uh morpheus is not a people non-person what they said is that there are po- sometimes instead of seeing aloof and dour he just seems uh stunned <laughs> and they said <laughs> the funny thing to me was they said did at some point did the direction say look less aloof and more like you've been hit with a brick <laughs> Which uh, there are some points like that, even though he he looks like his voice and his look are perfect for this. Um, And so I highly recommend this. And I am exactly in the demographic that they're talking about is I remembered 
the contours of the story, there were huge bits of business I didn't remember. Um, I the hardest to watch episode, which is a bottle episode where they're in a diner. Um, I forgot that that whole thing that absolutely is out of the comic. That was like you know that first run um, before it became. I think this is even pre-Vertigo. This You'll notice early in the run of Sandman, there's some shoehorning of other parts of the DC universe in there. I mean, that stops over time. Um, much like Swamp Thing. Like, Justice League was like in an early or early issue of the Alan Moore um, Swamp Thing before it became its own thing. Um, and basically, like, Vertigo comics organized around the Sandman because there was, you know, with this, the British invasion of comics in the 80s when you had Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman and... Um, Grant Morrison doing these weird things. A sort of Vertigo was a very British imprint for most of its run. Mike Carey, the guy who did the uh, previously mentioned Lucifer series, uh, you know, it, it was, it was. I just didn't remember that much of it, and I probably like anything in here. I have not. It, it's a very plot-driven. Um, series more than you would think in the fact that you know an event will happen in issue two and then in payoff in issue 70. <laughs> uh, Neil Gaiman himself has said it is not that he had such a huge master plan. He said if you look you will find that I am throwing myself plot softballs left and right and some of those I catch later on but I'm th- always throwing things up in the air with the hopes that uh, I will always have plenty of things to catch when I need something to catch. Uh, which is not a bad uh, strategy when you're writing an ongoing thing uh, of indeterminate length <laughs> where you're going to need future stuff. So if you're writing, whatever, any like a soap opera webcomic type thing where, you know, soap operas are notorious for it being weird because you, you got to put out another hour. You got to put out five hours of this thing a week. You're going to do some weird shit, right? <laughs> and so anyway, I am a, a, a highly, um, highly appreciative of The Sandman. Uh, show. I think it is fantastic. Here's what's not fantastic. I uh, am a member. I pay, I bought, they had a sale, and I bought DC Infinite, which is the thing that gives you access to digital DC comics. I also um, have Marvel Unlimited, and I love Marvel Unlimited. When I had a project, which I sort of fell off of, but I wanted to read every Iron Man story starting from Tales of Suspense 39 moving forward. And, you know, I made it let's be honest tales of suspense 50 55 these are not classic stories there's some pretty terrible ones so i sort of uh, fell off on that but you know i wanted to go all the way through it and read you know the iron man series and all the various iron man series i've read you know i subscribed to this uh, by the postal mail you know in the 70s and early 80s um, but i i fell off of that but basically practically anything from 1963 forward now, there's a dead period, which is they don't put the comics from this month. I think it used to be a six-month period, and now I think they've even shrunk it to three months. Which means that dumbass me, who pays $65 a year for Marvel Unlimited and $4 an issue for some of these comics and then doesn't read them for two years, I could have just had them for free <laughs> from Marvel Unlimited. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, like the fear that the digital thing will kill the comics, I sort of wish it would. It would save me some money if I would let it. But I love Marvel Unlimited. So I go to DC Infinite, and I paid, I think, they had a special promotional deal. I paid $35 for that first year. I'm like, fantastic. So I go to look up some of the Sandman stuff, and they have issues one through eight. They have the first storyline, which is okay in the fact that that's like largely what this first season is. Um, But 
I wanted to look at some subsequent stuff, and there's 67 issues of this series that are not in DC Infinite. And the Orpheus special, which is extremely important to the plot of the series, like the whole last half of the Sandman series uh, descends from events that happened in the Sandman special. So it's not like a, you know, it's not like a side gig. It's like part of the main canon canonical flow of the plot. And I got issues in there. I was like, infinite. DC Infinite has eight of 75. That's not that infinite. (laughs) That's pretty not infinite. I would say that's extremely finite. In fact, unsatisfyingly finite. So that really bugged me. It's literally the very first time I ever looked for anything in DC Infinite. It was this. So that is a way to lose hearts and minds. And, um, you know, in general, DC Comics really and truly feels like a dumpster fire. (laughs) The aforementioned uh, episode of More to Come basically was talking about uh, the new corporate masters at DC, and it really seems like they're trying to kill the... uh, kill the company because they hate comics and this uh their movies are kind of uh a clusterfuck and their publishing seems kind of like a clusterfuck and this kind of seems like a clusterfuck so probably not renewing dc infinite bummer now here's the other thing is i have all of these issues i have actually because i was really coming and going i have sandman number one which i bought off the shelf and then uh, I was away for a while. So I don't have the floppies, I think, two through eight. And then I started by, I maybe even don't have the floppies until, I don't know, 30 or something. But I bought trades and then kind of filled in with the uh, filled in with the floppies, you know. Ca- started with the floppies and then filled in with the trades. Let's put it that way. Um, so I have read the entire series. And I can read the entire series. But it's one of these things where I'm in this weird hybrid where I have the shit right next to me. Uh, but if I go to read it, I'll read it in digital, which kind of suggests, why do I have this shit? Why do I have all these paper things taking up space and weight and mass and money in my life when I just read it in digital anyway? Excellent question you might, you might ask to me, for which I have no satisfying answer. Maybe we shall re- <laughs> Maybe we shall rethink a stratagem. All right. <sighs> And one uh, kind of the last uh, thing I think I'm going to talk about in this show is I talked a lot about my podcast backlog. I've talked about how I manage it and organize it. Um, I realized that I might even have, I'm in danger of having a backlog fetish and not just a podcast, but if everything, because I realized um, as I was kind of figuring out what I was going to watch a TV show, I had a window of time where I could watch a TV show, any TV show I wanted. Um, any of my solo shows, so not a together show, but I could watch a, a anything of my uh, own show, uh, and just like figuring out in my TV backlog because I have a book backlog and a comic backlog and a podcast backlog and a TV backlog and a movie backlog, and I realize that I spend oh easily as much time managing the backlogs as I do for everything but podcast because podcast I'd kind of do while I'm doing other things, but I spend as much time managing my TV backlog as I do watching TV almost. And I spend as much time thinking about what I'm going to read as I spend reading. And uh, it just seems wrong. And I don't know why. Part of it, I guess, part of it is being a computer science-y, uh, data-y nerd, is I just like that kind of stuff, right? That's fun. That's fun stuff. But 
you know, it is exactly equivalent to when I said my problems are not with my to-do list and my to-do list infrastructure or how I'm maintaining it. My problem is the fact that I don't do the to-do list. My problems are not with the podcast maintenance of the podcast backlog. My my problem is that I don't just sit down and consume the thing that I want to consume. Uh, I mean, I don't buy these comic books because I plan on never reading them. It's just that I don't sit down and read them. And, and it's really and truly like it's a misorganization and a misprioritization of my minute to minute actions. Mer Lafferty always talks about this in uh, in uh, I Could Be Writing, which is you do not find time to write. You pluck time to write from other things. <laughs> you force uh, you, you force uh, time that would be something else, probably more immediately pr- pleasurable into being writing time because you want to have the writing time. That's the only way that it ever happens. You know, that's kind of equivalent to me, which is I say that I value these things, but I don't spend my time on that. So do I, can I really say I value something that I don't do? Like if I care, I should visibly care and it should show up in, uh, show up in my day-to-day life. So I don't know. I don't know why I just don't, uh, I don't do it more. I find time to play Toy Blast and Plants vs. Zombies almost every day. Um, I don't find time to read comics every day. I don't make time to read. I don't. You never find time. You you only uh, choose time. I don't know. I don't know why that is. Um, maybe at some point I have to be honest with myself. Is like maybe uh, I'm buying comics out of inertia and I don't care as much as I once did. I mean, it's totally totally possible. Um, it is possible that if I go through my collection. I might actually be willing to get rid of, I might be able to get rid of 10% of this collection off the top, like without thinking hard. Maybe if I thought hard, 30 or 40 or 50%. Um, and I might actually do that. I might start going through, I might Marie Kondo the shit out of my comics. <laughs> Does this comic give me joy? Uh, do I have it because I bought it in 1977 and uh, that has some uh, affection for me? Uh, and has some sentimentality, but I do not give a shit about the actual physical artifact. If that's the case, I really need to um, eliminate those things. I'm throwing away my mother, my dead mother's objects, and my dead mother's dead mother's objects, and my dead mother's dead mother's dead mother's objects. Uh, surely I can throw away my own uh, stuff I don't care about. Let's stop there. Thank you for listening. I appreciate your time. If you find anything of value or uh, non-value, <laughs> let me know. Dave at evilgeniuschronicles.org. As always, show notes will be up at evilgeniuschronicles.org. If you care at all, I mean, it's the number one show on Netflix, so people are watching the uh, Sandman show, but I uh, give it my seal of approval for whatever that's worth. Have I done all the uh, dismount? Have we dismounted? I told you how to reach me. I told you where the shows are. Oh, I forgot something from the dismount, and that's that I love you. Goodbye. Hello, and welcome to the Evil Genius Chronicles. I'm starting again. Hello. How can I follow that? Jesus God. (laughs) I haven't started and I'm... God. Don't try this at home.
actually Jim Mafood, uh, who I know as a comic book artist, but he does various stuff. Every step of fucking adventure. 